Is everyone okay? Well, no. Is everyone? Well, this is unfortunately the last thread session that I'll be with you for this weekend. <laughs> Ale, yeah, thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much for making me feel so welcome. Thanks to the team for the invite. Um, I've had a great time with you guys. I, uh, I fly out this afternoon. I get to go home and see Lauren Drake. Um, I'm, tr I'm trying. I am trying. I said the next time you see me, I'll be able to speak like a proper Brummie. But it's good. Hey, tell me this. Has anyone ever had anything stolen from them? Ooh. Ooh. Put your hand up if you ever had anything stolen from you. Yeah, some people. Like food. Yeah, food's devastating. Someone stole your swimming goggles. Devastating. Do you know what? I hate it whenever someone steals, like, your phone charger. It's like, oh, what are you doing? Um, it can be... It can be really devastating when someone steals something that's supposed to be yours. Um, I, to I told you guys about a, um, a trip I took to America. And uh, on that, I got a day off in the middle of it all. And uh, I thought, I was in New York. And so I thought, I'm going to go for a walk around New York. And someone said to me, like, there's this place called like Soho. And you should go for a little walk down the street. Now, I can't afford anything down there, but I went for the walk. And I'm walking down the street, and I'm in a world of my own. The buildings are so tall, and everything's so huge, and there's just, like, people everywhere, more people than I've ever seen. And so I'm, like, this little Irish boy just in a world of his own. And this was, like, I was working with an organization called Metro Ministries. Um, I don't know if you've heard of them. They do, like, Sunday school every week for, like, 25,000 kids. And they, in that, we had to go into, like, the project buildings, um, I don't know if you've seen them on TV, it's like these high-rise uh, flats. There's like more people live in one of those block of flats than live in my entire town. And they kind of give me this T-shirt, and it had like this bear on it. It's like they're, it's, a, it's a, and they handed me a T-shirt and said to me, this is your bulletproof jacket. I was like, it's a T-shirt. And he's like, no, you'll see, you'll see. I was like, okay, cool. And on my first day, I'm walking around these flats, and I go to walk in, and they say, you just go to the top, and you just work your way down. And I was like, okay. And you've seen all sorts of things. You see people taking drugs all over the place. You see people selling drugs. You see people, like, selling people. It's, it's off. It's the most hideous place I had been. And I'm walking in, and this guy just stops me at the door, and he's like, yo, where are you from? I was like, yeah, I'm from Ireland. <laughs> and he's like, he like lifts his thing. He's got his gun in his thing. He's like, "Where are you from?" I'm like, "I'm from Ireland." I'm like trying to get my pooty off to show them my t-shirt. Look, I'm with Metro, and he's like, "Oh, Metro! Why didn't you say so?" And like walks me up the stairs, and so my anxiety levels were like through the roof. I was like, "Anyway, I'm just gonna get shot. I'm just gonna get shot. I'm gonna die for Jesus." And uh, I thought I'm gonna take the day off. Take make. I'm just going to relax. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to have as much coffee as I want. I'm going to just chill out. And so I'm walking down this street, having a blast, because I have no concerns. Nobody's going to kill me today. Until I lock eyes with this guy on the street. And you know, whenever sometimes you see people on the street trying to sell stuff, you're like, is there a shop I can go to? Like, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? But this guy just, he had me. Like, he was like, in. I was like, oh, no. Okay. Just walking, walking, walking. 
And this guy is like, if you think of like an American gangster, like he is like every stereotype that you have in your head of an American gangster. And he, I reached, I wa walked towards him and we did like this awkward like high five hug thing with this stranger I don't even know in New York, which is odd because in New York, nobody even looks at you. And we're like, I'm hugging this random stranger. And I was like, what is happening to me? And uh, he looks at me and he said, yo, I'm not going to do the accent. He said, yo, I'm just out here trying to get a deal. And I, like, I don't know what happened to me. Like, I'm usually quite confident, but in that moment I wasn't. And I started to panic. And I'm like, I'm sorry, sir, I don't deal anything. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm really sorry. You're, if you're looking to deal of anything, it's not coming from me. Like, I don't sell anything. I don't have anything. You can't have anything. He goes, no, I want the deal. And I was like, well, what do you want? And he's like, I want a record deal. And I was like, well, I'm sorry. I don't work for anyone that can do, <laughs> do that for you either. And yeah, I'm really sorry I can't do that for you. And he pulls out this CD. And the CD is a pic it has a picture of him on it. It's like sitting on a car with all these guns and all these girls. And he's like, here, uh, do you want to buy my CD? God, uh, <laughs> how much is it? And he's like, it's like $10. And so because I'm already like panicking, I was like, um, okay. And I did the one thing that I just, just, I just know that you don't do. And I like took my wallet out and I open up my wallet and I look in and I see I've got some cash, but I don't have any $10. And like, I don't know, it's just stupid. I took out $20 and I said, do you have any change for... A 20? And uh, he's like, no, I don't. And I'm like, okay. Um, and as I'm standing there trying to work out what I'm going to do with my wallet in one hand and a, like a $20 in the other hand, some other guy <laughs> runs right past and doesn't take my wallet but manages to like get his fingers into my wallet and take all of my money and runs just down the street. And so I'm standing like this. Like, what has, what has just happened? And while I'm there, the guy, he's looking at me, and he's like, so I'm still just standing there with an empty wallet and a $20 bill, and he looks at me, and he just grabs the $20 bill, and he runs as well, and I'm standing there with an empty wallet, and no CD, and, not, and I'm like, what, what do I do? And I have this, pa this panic moment, I'm like, do I chase them? Like, if I was at home, I would like, just run after them. Like, a guy in Ported Iron stole my bike one time, and I just knocked his door and said, give me my bike back. And, but... This was like New York. Like, what am I going to do? People have held guns to me. What am I going to do? And I decided that day, okay, this little white guy from Portadown isn't going to do anything in New York City, so he can have it, and I hope that he chokes on whatever he buys with it. And now I'm a little bit more gracious than that. Um, but, yeah, it was this moment where I was like, what did I do? Like, do I go get it? Do I not get it? Do I let this guy have it? Like, this, it's like, this inner wrestle with the fact that there's this injustice that has happened and that I want to get it back, but also who am I to get it back and what am I going to do in that moment? It's, it's an inner wrestle and I have it a lot as a Christian. It's, I feel the same sort of feelings sometimes as a Christian. And I want us to look really quickly at a, at a story. There's a verse in the Bible, and if you've been around church any length of time, you might have heard it before. Jesus said it in John 10, 10, and he says, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And I heard that verse a lot, but I hadn't really thought that much about it. And I read it one day, 
And I felt like God really spoke to me and said, well, have you, have you seen it? Have you noticed? Because he's very rarely the, the guy that will come and steal it right in front of your face. He usually sneaks in around behind you and starts to steal when you're not looking. I start to look around and I wonder if you've looked around, have you noticed that the enemy still steals and kills and destroys? When I look at how things should be and I look at how things are, it doesn't take me very long to realize he's stealing and he's killing and he's destroying. If you look up some statistics on poverty and suicide and crime and alcohol abuse and drug abuse in your area, it won't take very long for you to feel like something's just not right. The way things are and the way things should be don't really match up. But then we don't even really have to look outside of church, if I'm honest. I, I look around church and I look around groups of Christians and I see they're not living in all that Jesus said that they could. They're not living in all that Jesus said that they should. We see Christians not living in the fullness of what Jesus died to give them, living in as if they're like a second-rate citizen with no confidence and fear and anxiety, all of these things that, that Jesus never had for us and we never were supposed to have. And so we have all of this as well and all of these doubts and fears and insecurities and he's just been stealing and he's been killing and he's been destroying. And I look around and my heart just gets moved and I'm like, I'm not okay. Like, I'm really not okay with how it is. I'm really not okay with how things are. And I've moved in my thinking as I've got older. You see, whenever something rises up and someone else does something, I, I try to look past the fact that it's them and I can see the enemy's really trying to steal from them and kill them and destroy them. And it rises, it's grace that rises up in my heart rather than anger. And I, I, I direct my anger towards the right person because sometimes we get this fight inside of us and what happens is it takes our, it takes our eyes off it takes our eyes off the big fight that we're supposed to fight and we start looking at little silly fights that we're fighting around us. But if we can take our eyes and look at the big fight and the fact that we have an enemy that's stealing and killing and destroying, I promise you, we won't fight about as much silly stuff anymore. We'll start to see and we'll say, no, he's trying to get you. And so I'm behind you and I'm for you. And he's trying to get you and I'm behind you and I'm for you. And you know, at this moment, he's maybe trying to get me. Would you get behind me and would you fight for me? And we'll all put our fights together instead of fighting each other and we'll fight the enemy because he's stealing and killing and destroying. There's a story in 1 Samuel chapter 30. And some of these verses were really helped to shape some of my thinking whenever we started to take back and put it down. It says, verses one, start of verse one, it says, three days later, David and his men arrived home at their town of Ziklag, who's glad they don't live there, and found that the Amalekites had made a raid into the Negev and Ziklag they had crushed Ziklag and they had burnt it to the ground. And they carried off the women and the children and everyone else, but without killing anyone. And when David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. David's two wives, yep, those two girls, uh, were among those that were captured. David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and their daughters. And they began to talk of stoning him. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Pause there. That's what we do. The enemy comes in and he steals and he kills and he destroys. And we straight away try to say, who are we going to blame? Who are we going to blame? Well, this is happening in youth. Well, it must be Andy's fault. This is happening in here. It must be their fault. 
it must be their fault, it must be their fault, but it wasn't any of them that stole anything. It was the enemy came in and he took it and they were just placing their fight in the wrong place. And so we wanted to, we want to read on. It says, then he said to Abiathar the priest, bring me the ephod. And so he brought it. And when David asked the Lord, should I chase after this band of raiders? Will I catch them? The Lord told him, yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. David goes out to fight. And while David's out fighting, the enemy sneaks in around the back because he rarely steals stuff from your face. And he sneaks in around the back and he takes everything. Just takes everything. And until David turns around to see and tries to go home, he doesn't even notice that it's gone. He hasn't seen that it's missing. He hasn't seen that it's gone. And so, but when he comes back, he sees everything's gone. Our stuff is destroyed. Our families are gone. Our stuff, is, like our possessions, they're gone. He's took everything. And I love what David does. David comes to God and he says to God, will I go after them? Should I go after it? And God tells him to go and they go on this walk and they start trying to chase after them and they find a slave that they've been, that's been abandoned by the Amalekites and the, he starts to tell them where to go to find them. And it goes on and they try to pick it up. We pick it up in verse 16 again. It says, and he led David, the slave led David to them and they found the Amalekites spread out across the fields, eating and drinking and dancing with joy because of the vast amount of plunder. The enemies took more off us than we even know that we had. It's like this vast amount of plunder that he had taken from the Philistines and from the land of Judah. David and his men rushed in among them and slaughtered them throughout that night and the entire next day until evening. None of the Amalekites escaped except 400 young men who fled on camels. I didn't know camels could run until I read this. Um, David got back, it says, David got back everything the Amalekites had taken and he rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, small or great, son or daughter, nor anything else that had been taken. David brought everything back. David brought everything back. David, I love in this passage, like David wasn't willing to just lie down and say, oh well, that's that, it's all gone. He wasn't willing to just like let it slide and let the enemy have it. He wasn't willing to do any of that. And he, he wasn't going to let the enemy run off with what was rightfully his. And so he, decide, he gets before God and he says, God, what, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And God tells him to go and get it back. David, go and take it back yourself. David, go and get it. David didn't start to moan and David didn't start to complain and David didn't start to act like a victim and David didn't start to tell his sob story to all of his friends and that anyone would listen to him he just and that's what like that's what I do but David gets before God and he says God what do you want me to do and God says David go and get it go and get it and that's exactly what he does I love too that David didn't pray a prayer like I would pray Jesus would you get that stuff back for me doesn't say, God, would you get it back for me? 
He says, God, I'll go and get it. If you tell me I can get it, I will go and get it. I will fight for this because it's mine and it's too important to me. I will fight for this and I'll go and get it and I'll fight all day and I'll fight all night and I'll fight the next day if I have to. I'll keep fighting till I get it because it's mine. But God, just you give me the green light. Just you give me the green light and I'll go after it. And that's what he does. He goes and he fights and he fights and he fights until he gets all of it back. The enemy had nothing left. Because you see, the enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy. And we can live in that part of the verse, but that's only half a verse. We can live in half a verse if you want, but the whole verse should come up. It's in John 10, 10. It says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But this is Jesus talking. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You can live in half a verse if you want, but the whole verse is there for you. You don't have, You can live in lack, and you can live without things that is supposed to be yours, but the enemy has taken from you. You can live there if you want. But Jesus has promised that he has come to give us life abundant. That for me is the green light. That for me is the green light. That Darren, you need to go get back all this years that you don't have right now. There's another verse in Luke 19, verse 10. It says, the son of man, that's Jesus, came to seek and to save those who were lost. He came to chase after that what was lost. That's always been the mission of God. You see, from the beginning, Adam and Eve, from that relationship was lost. It's been the mission of God to chase after all that the enemy is trying to steal and to kill and to destroy and to, to bring it back and to bring life and to bring restoration. It's always been the mission of God. I really love that whenever mankind messes it up in the Garden of Eden, that God doesn't like shrug his shoulders and go, oh well, made your decision. Oh well, you've... My granny used to say, you've made your bed so you can lie in it. I don't know if that's a, a thing here, but it's like, oh, well, you've had your go. You've had your chance. I'm really glad that that's not who he is. I'm really glad that Jesus said, you know what? I'm going to go get them back. I'm really glad that he took the fight to the enemy. I'm really glad that the perfect one stepped out of heaven and he lives the life that none of us could live. And he died a death that we all deserve because of the mistakes that we live in. And I love that he did all of that for us. I love that he took that fight and he fought that fight for you and for me. And he fought it for all of us. And he fought that fight and then he went into that grave and we just sang it, but he didn't stay there because there was another enemy called death and he'd overcame that and so in the ground his buried body began to breathe and three days later he fought through death and he rose again and he overcame death which is our final enemy so that me and you can come to him and we don't have to live in the first part of that verse we can live in the fact that Jesus gives us life and gives us life abundantly but sometimes we just need to let the fight rise up inside of us we just need to let the fight ride up inside of us. I see Christians that are just willing to live in the stuff that the enemy has taken from them and just live, oh, 
I just have no peace and that's just how I am. Jesus is the Prince of Peace and he died to give it to us. I just, I'm really struggling with all of this guilt and shame and condemnation. Well, Jesus said he could set you free from all of that. And so if you haven't got it, we need to, we need to fight for it. He says that his perfect love casts out all fear. And so I need to fight for that. He tells me that I'm a son of God or you're a daughter of God. And so I need to fight until I feel like one and not just have it in my head, but live it out through my life. There's more for us than we know. And we hear it. Oh, this is just how it is for me. If you hear someone who's trying to sound really spiritual, they might say something along the lines of, this is just my cross to bear. It's what? It's your what? And honestly, in the most Christian way that I can, I just want to shake some people. Come on. Like, come on. Like, where is your fight? Where is your fight? Yes, the enemy came and stole some stuff from you. And I'm really upset that he did. And I will fight with you. But you need to fight. I'm not going to be the only one that fights for you. You need to fight for yourself. You need to allow the fight to rise up inside of you and say, no, he's not going to have my peace. No, he's not going to have my joy. No, he's not going to have my security. No, he's not going to have my friends. No, he's not going to have my family. And allow the fight to rise up inside of us, to fight for something that's bigger than us. And to fight for everything that we're supposed to have and not let him have it. I want to shake people and say, where is your fight? That's yours. Go and get it. And you might not get it today. And you might not get it tonight. And you might not get it tomorrow, but it's yours. And you better fight until you get it because if not, then he has it and it's not his to have. We need to go and get it back. I ask the guys if they want to, they want to come up. Do you know what I really want? I really want the world, like the whole world, whether they're Christians or whether they're not. I really want the world to grab hold of everything that God said that they are and everything that God said is theirs and to live in it in its fullness, life in abundance. I would really want to see the world just find their entire identity in Jesus. See, most of us, if we're honest, we have found parts of our identity in him, but not all of it. Not all of it. What does it look like to find our entire identity in him? And you know, that means that us as Christians, we need to fight a little bit. The problem is we're spending too much time fighting with each other. It's not that we don't have a fight in us. We're just fighting the wrong people at the wrong time in the wrong place. We need to let the fight rise up inside of us. It means that we're going to have to get outside our comfort zones just a little bit. And that's really okay. Because nobody's, like, our friends and our families aren't getting saved as long as we sit there. We need to get outside our comfort zones. It means that we will have times and moments where we have lots of tears. It says in that passage, those men wept bitterly. And that's okay. It means at times we're going to need someone to come around us and say, come on, you need to fight. Come on, you need to fight. I'll fight with you. It means at times that we need to own the fight of each other. 
because David didn't go in there that day and just fight to get his two wives back. He got everybody's wives back. He got everybody's family back. He got everybody's stuff back. He got everything back. Because there's this truth. Paul teaches it in the Bible that we are the body of Christ. And so if one person loses something, we have all lost it. one person loses something we've all lost it if there's things in your life that the enemy's stolen from you then he's stolen from me too I just feel like the enemy's had far too much for far too long and it's time to go and get it it's time for you and time for me to go and get it it's far too important there's like there's people's lives at stake it's literally life or death for some people and we have lots of moments that, along the way that we don't understand and we might not understand and we might have lots of questions but you know what amidst all of that stuff the enemy still got some of my stuff and I'm going to go and get it and you know it's been the most freeing thing for me because whenever people come and try to argue about stuff that's stupid and you know, I just look at them do you know people are still going to hell people are still lost there's still people in our town that are addicted to substances there's still people all over the place that need Jesus and we're going to sit here and argue about whether or not you like that song like you just work it out I'm going to keep fighting I'm going to keep chasing I'm going to keep running after stuff because if we don't fight for our friends then who's going to do it if I don't fight for my family who's going to do it it's, they're my responsibility if I have the message of Jesus and the hope of Jesus in my heart, that's my responsibility. I'm going to stand before God someday and he's going to say, did you tell your family? Did you tell your friends? If you don't tell your friends, if you don't fight for your friends, if you don't fight for your schools, if you don't fight for your town, then who's going to do it? You're just going to let everybody else? I've been dreaming about this stuff for a bit. I've been dreaming. I had... I had this dream. What would it look like if every 11 to 25 year old in my town just loved Jesus? What would it look like? What would it look like if every year the only people we had to try and reach with the gospel are people that are turning 11? And that was it. Just every year. The guys that are stepping out of, into like secondary school, that's the only people we have to reach. What would it look like? How would, that, how would that look? What would that do for a town? And almost as quickly as the, the thoughts came, then the doubts came. It couldn't happen. It couldn't happen. It wouldn't happen. But there's this story in, a, in the Bible, maybe you've heard of it, about a guy called Jonah. And you'll know, if you know him, you'll know him because he got ate by a fish. Like what? Um, ate by a fish. But the story really is that there's this, there's this town, this city, and it's that evil that God wants to destroy it. Like it's that evil, there's just that much sin in it that God is like, I can't handle it. I can't handle all of the sin. I can't handle it. And so it's that, there's where it is. Because sin needs punished and that's why Jesus came. But Jesus hadn't come at this point and so here's the town. 120,000 people. I live in a town of about 25,000 people. How many people are in Hillsville? 
66. So about twice the size of Hale's own. And if you read the story, you'll find out that Jonah ended up in that fish because he didn't want to go near those people. He didn't want to go tell those people. But one man, he eventually shows up. He doesn't love anybody. He doesn't care about anybody. He doesn't even want to be there. He shows up in the middle of this wicked city. And all he does is say what God told him to say. That's all he does. What God told him to say. And it says that every person from the greatest to the least turned to God. Every person from the greatest to the least turned to God. Now let's look at his own. So it's half the size. And it's not as wicked as that place was. And we have the grace of Jesus. And we also have like 80 something people that actually do love people, that actually do care. But I think our problem is that we just haven't got enough fight for it. We just haven't got enough fight for it. Surely if he could do it with Jonah, he could do it with you. Surely if he could do it with Jonah, he could do it with me. Surely if he could do it with Jonah, he could do it with any of us. But we need to let the fight rise up in our hearts and in our lives. We need to let the fight for our family and the fight for our friends and the fight for our loved ones just rise up in our hearts. We have a girl in our youth ministry. And she had this dream one night. And the dream was that she was standing outside her school. And this is a school I've been asking for years, like, can we do something? Can we help? Can we? And so she has this dream. And she's standing outside the school. And the gates are all locked. And the doors are all locked. And the school's on fire. And they're shouting out the windows at her. And she's standing outside the gate with the key. And they're shouting out the windows at her. Her name's Holly. Holly, you knew. Holly, you knew how to get us out of here and you didn't tell us. Holly, you knew how to get us out of here and you didn't do anything about it. And then she just woke up. Like that'll stir some fight in you. <laughs> and you're not getting back to sleep. So she got up and she wrote a letter to her principal. And she wrote in it that we would really love to start like a, I don't know if you have like a scripture union, like a CU, like an SU in her school. And she wrote in the letter, my youth pastor, Darren McClatchy, will do all that you want him to do. And uh, so I just get this phone call from a principal saying, hey, we'd love you to maybe think about starting something in our school. I'm going, it's okay, it's great. And so she says, there's not many Christians in this school. I think it's a school of like 600 students. I know still, like I know lots of the kids there. I know of about four Christians. And so they said to me, there'll be four or five Christians and now you can just do what you want to do, study the Bible, pray. I was like, absolutely. I'd love to sit with four or five Christians and study the Bible and pray. Rocked into school on the first day. They'd put us in this tiny room. And I was expecting, I had a Bible study ready for five Christians. We had 90 people show up and none of them are Christians except for Holly. Do you know, since September, I think our lowest number's been 85. And we sit at lunchtime and we talk about Jesus with all of these people that don't know Jesus because Holly was gonna fight for something. 
Holly was going to fight for something. And now because she was willing to fight, there's a bunch of her school. I would say at least half of her school have heard about Jesus now. Now her responsibility isn't whether or not those people get saved. That's, that's, that's on people. My responsibility and her responsibility is to make sure that they know. And so we're, she's doing it, and it's all her. She did it. I just, I'm the guy that gets handed the microphone every week. And we've seen a bunch of young people get saved. We've seen a bunch of them really plug into youth ministries. We've seen a few of them get baptized. Because Holly had some fight in her. Holly's only 15. So is there any fight in anybody in here to see something else? Is there any fight for your family? Is there any fight for your friends? Is there any fight for your schools? Is there any fight for your town? Why don't we all stand together? See, you can, you can have the obedience thing down and you can be filled with the Holy Spirit and be full of power spark power you can you can be full of God yeah you can be full of God you can really act but see if there's no fight in you you're just going to go home and get on with your with your life but what if God put some fight in our hearts what if God put some fight inside of us what if God's really started to stir something inside of you and said no you're going to go after that I've been reminded about these passages. There's a bunch of times in the Bible when God just asks this question. Who will go for me? Who will go for me? And I think it's the same question he asks us now. I feel like when he looks at your school, he's asking a question. Who's going to go for me? He looks at your family, he's saying, who's gonna, who's gonna go for me? There's this verse in Ezekiel 22, 30. It says, I looked for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. I searched for someone to stand in the gap in the wall so I wouldn't have to destroy the land, but I found no one. You see, if we get the tone wrong in this, then it sounds like God's angry. It sounds like God's saying, I'm going to destroy that land and I couldn't get someone to do it, and so I'm going to do it. But I don't think that's who he is. And I picture him with this real heavy heart. He's saying, I really wanted someone to step in. I really wanted someone to fight for those people. I really wanted someone to stand in there and rebuild that wall. I really wanted someone. I really wanted someone to fight for the young people in Hills Owen. I really wanted some young people to fight for their schools. I really want some young people to fight for their families. I really wanted some young people to fight for things bigger than themselves. I really want some young people to fight. I'm really looking. But in that instance, he's like, I couldn't find anybody. No one would do it. So my prayer for you guys is that if God's looking for someone to fight, 
understand that he'll know if I just go to Life Central, some young people in there, there's some young people in there. And God said, you know, I'm looking for someone to fight for that tribe in the Amazon that's never heard, that never heard anything about Jesus. I'll find them in Hill Zone. I'll find them in their campuses. I'll find them in those Life Central campuses. I'll find them there. Looking to someone to fight for that school. I bet I'll find them. I bet I'll find them if I go there. I would love that. I would love it if you should be that group. God said, Jesus, whatever you want me to fight for, I'll fight for it. But what you need to do is you need to stop fighting with each other. Because I think the fight's there, we're just wasting it. We need to stop fighting with each other. Because a win for the person beside you is a win for you. And a loss for the person beside you is a loss for you. We're all in this together. A win for you guys is a win for me. And a win for us in Portadown is a win for you guys. It's we're all in this together. And there's going to be times in a fight when you just want to drop your head and you want to stop and you want to give in and you want to give up. And you're going to need some people around you to say, come on, let's keep going. Let's keep fighting. You see, in this moment when you feel like you can't fight, I'll fight for you. And we'll all fight together. And we'll all go after it together. Because none of us can do this on our own. None of us. We're all in it together. And so what I want us to do I want us, because sometimes I feel like we should physically do something that symbolizes what's going on inside of our hearts and what God's doing in the spirit. And so I'm going to ask you guys, without talking, why don't you just try to budge in a little bit and put your hand on around some, your arm around someone or just make sure everyone's in with someone. in this moment you can feel here somebody's actually with me here but whenever you feel like somebody is and I want you to remember this because we're all in this we're all in this and if the person that's beside you right now wins then you win and if they lose then you lose and their fight is your fight and so what we try to do where I'm from is you see if you're if someone's mom or dad gets saved I celebrate like it's my mom and dad if their brother or sister gets saved, I celebrate like it's my brother or sister. If their grandparents are sick, I pray like it's my grandparents that are sick. If they're struggling with fear and insecurities and doubts, I fight for them because someday it's going to be me and I need someone to fight for me. And so what we're going to do, because this is always better, because if I told you to pray for yourself, then just be one person praying for you but right now there's going to be a bunch of people praying for you and what I'm going to do I'm going to count to three and when I get to three you're just going to pray that God would start to stir the fight up in the people that are around you that God would start to stir their fight up because they need to fight but you need them to fight too and it's kind of all together because we're not going to change the world unless we're willing to fight a little bit so I'm going to count to three and these are these moments where if you've never prayed out loud where this is the easiest time you'll ever do it because everybody else is going to pray too and nobody's listening to you 
except for Jesus, obviously. It's on the count of three. And we're all going to lift our voice. And we're going to pray that the fight will begin to stir inside of the people around you. As them as individuals and you as a group. That the fight will begin to stir up inside our hearts. So one, two, and three. Come on, let's all lift our voice. All of us.